Welcome to the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley's meeting for the week of September 11th, 2023. I am excited by this week's speaker, Stephen Mayfield. It talks to, about plastics and how to generate plastics from algae and talks about all these things that really get me excited because I really think about the technology, as I've said before, and how technology can help us make a difference. And us at the E-Club of Silicon Valley, we always do think of technology as one of those things that's going to help us make that difference. The idea of skipping a step, of going from algae, skipping oil, and going straight to plastics was really amazing. And then the biodegradable aspect of it as well. I look forward to you guys learning, just like I did, about this program and learning about the cool things that Stephen Mayfield and uh, the team that he works with are doing. Have a great week. Hello, everybody. This is the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. Every week, we bring you the stories of people who are making a difference in the lives of others around the world, locally, globally, and digitally. And today, we are going to be talking with uh, Dr. Stephen Mayfield. And Steve is at the University of California, San Diego. Uh, he is a self-described science nerd and has been for 40 years and, and proudly wears that label. Uh, I think that's a good label to be wearing. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about about the the magic of uh, of connecting with interesting people as we go along. Uh, but if you have not read his bio, then you might pause this. And if you're on our YouTube page, scroll down, read the bio there. Or if you are on our Rotary, uh, our Rotary site, uh, SiliconValleyRotary.com or Rotary.cool, uh, then feel free to scroll up after pausing and getting the bio. With that, I'd like to I'd like to introduce. Steve, uh, Steve, tell us about the work you have been doing. We are really excited about the the confluence of topics that are a part of your presentation. So it, I hand it over to you. Yeah, well, as I said, I'm science nerd, proud science nerd. I, I got my PhD at Berkeley back almost 40 years ago now. And at that time, it was molecular genetics was just starting out. I actually got a degree in classical genetics but then quickly transitioned to doing molecular biology, and which is what the last 40 years of biology have been all about. And, and started on a path to, you know, become a postdoc and then an assistant professor. I was at the Scripps Research Institute and then moved here about 14 years ago to UC San Diego. But just working down the path, publishing papers, writing grants, doing all of that stuff that people in, in science do. And then just a little over 20 years ago, it was actually 2000, I was approached by a guy from one of the pharma companies who was sort of had been implanted in Scripps. And what he said to me was, you know, hey, we, we've seen that you make, you know, recombinant proteins in algae. Have you thought about making monoclonal antibodies? And we had thought about it, but hadn't done anything on it. And I said, oh, yeah, we know that they're important, you know sort of upcoming drugs back back in 2000. And he said, well, you know, I have a little budget and I'll give you some money if you want to give it a try. So we did. And uh, two years later, in 2002, uh, we published a paper that we had expressed a human monoclonal antibody in green algae. And uh, published that in Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. It was great for me. It was a really important paper. Got lots of, lots of reprint requests. But Interestingly, a guy at the Los Angeles Times decided that this was a breakthrough in molecular biology, called me up and said, hey, can I send a photographer down just to shoot some pictures and I have some questions for you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Bob, go, go ahead. 
photographer came down, shot some pictures of me in the lab holding little Petri dishes. And about four days later, that was the cover of the business section of the Los Angeles Times with a picture of me holding Petri dishes with algae on them. And the story from him about how this could revolutionize medicine because it would bring the price of drugs down. And, and a very interesting thing happened. My mother called me. She was living in Los Angeles with my dad at the time. And they got the LA Times. And I didn't know it was coming out. I never told anybody, right? And she called them. She goes, oh, my gosh. Not only do I see you on the, on the cover of the business section in the LA Times, now I understand what you do. For 20 years, mom would ask me, what do you do? And I would try to explain it to her. Well, I'm genetics. I try to figure out how, you know, DNA and genotype become phenotype. But that, you know, I might as well have been talking Italian to her, right? And, but once she understood that we were making proteins that could be therapeutic, that could be drugs, then she suddenly understand it. And for me, that was an epiphany too, because then I recognized, oh, People care a lot more. People have a hard time understanding sort of basic biology or basic science. But if you apply it to a problem, they understand that. And at that time, I wasn't thinking about, oh, there's just so many problems in the world that we need to apply this to. I wasn't that sophisticated. I, I was an assistant professor just thinking, hey, this is great. Now people know what I do and they'll, you know, I'll be more popular. I'll be more. And it turned out to help on grants. But now fast forward that for about 10 years. And by 2010, we were just looking around and thinking, oh my gosh, look at climate change is real and coming fast. You know, our food supplies are dwindling. We're cutting down the rainforest to plant this stuff. Then we really started to realize and think about, look at the fundamental problems that the world has and how does our technology, how can we apply our technology to, to address some of those. And you don't address those by a publication. You address those by a product. That's what that LA Times story showed me in really clear, you know, message. So I, I became a biotech guy and, and I didn't change my underlying research, but all of our research then had an application to one of, you know, to a problem. Could be a little problem, could be a big problem, whatever. It was just, let's address a problem by making a product. Fantastic. And, and as you, as you look at these different experiences and, and you come up with these products, you, you end up with, with a lot of traction there as well. What I'd like you to do is okay. you're, you're in your space yep. and I'd like you to show us some of the things that, that you've put together. And when you do, please describe them as well. We hope that this will also be part of our yeah. podcast series. Okay. So a lot of people don't know, but all of gasoline and diesel and even natural gas. Those are actually all biofuels. All of those come from ancient algae. They've not melted dinosaurs. They're not geological formations. They are hundreds of millions of years of algae accumulating in shallow oceans, sinking to the bottom of those oceans, being covered by sand and silt. And then over time, under pressure, algae oils became crude oil and natural gas. Coal is from plants but crude oil and natural gas come from algae. So as I said, back in 2010, we decided, hey, since that fossil oil that's underground and when we drill it and pull it out, we're releasing sequestered CO2 into the atmosphere. So can we do this in real time? Can we grow algae and can we turn it into a biofuel? So that was actually the first thing we started, right? 
can we make algae biofuels? This is diesel. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but you have to be ASPM certified to actually sell gasoline or diesel. It actually has a specification you have to meet. This is diesel that we produced here that could actually be sold. And so I started a company called Sapphire Energy. They raised a boatload of money and they were going to make biofuels from algae. And we were working away on that. And in fact, they built a hundred acre facility down in Columbus, New Mexico. And it worked really well. We were making about a hundred barrels of oil a week uh, in that site. We were sending that crude oil down to a refinery in Texas and they were refining it into diesel and gasoline. But, you know, in 2013, I was sort of looking at that and we were negotiating with some big companies to see about, you know, taking this to commercial scale. But I was looking at it and I realized, you know, we're never going to make biofuels out of algae. And I, and I wasn't saying that because I was cynical. I was saying that because fuel is the lowest value commodity that we produce on the planet. The only thing cheaper than fuel is dirt, right? And it has less use than fuel. So I'm like, okay, but if we're going to grow algae, why on earth would we grow it and then sell it to the lowest bidder? That doesn't make any sense. You're going to sell it to the highest bidder. And the highest bidder is going to be food. It's going to be nutraceuticals. It's going to be medicine. And, and ultimately, we figured it's going to be polymers. So I pivoted in 2013 and sort of said, hey, Sapphire, you guys are on your own. You know, good luck with the biofuels, but I'm going to make food and I'm going to make polymers. So the food that we make, here's one of them. You can see, I don't know if you guys can see that, but that's a bag of algae noodles that's actually on the market, right? You can buy those if you go to Amazon and type in algae noodles, you'll find that one. But basically the idea behind it was this, we were taking dried algae and we were using it either as a supplement like that to where we added it at about six or 8% into noodles. It increases the protein content, gives you great minerals, gives you chlorophyll and iron, all kinds of good things happen when you put algae into things. But you can also use it just as bulk protein. So I started a company uh, called Triton Health and Nutrition to make those back in 2013. Uh, I got bought out of that a couple of years ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic. They wanted to go and take it to big scale. And by then I was working on polymers, so I let them go. And, and then we pivoted again and started to make polymers. And that right there was the first thing we made. So back in 2016, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say for, for those listening, uh, we, we just pointed to a cool looking surfboard in the back uh, with, a, with several, several different uh, terms on it. You know, these are, I think, uh, supporters. Uh, yeah, yeah, San yeah Diego. exactly. Those are all supporters. So Department of Energy, Solazyme was an algae company that gave us the oil. We're Cow Cab, that is us up here. Nice. Arctic, the guys on top, Arctic Foam, those are the guys who actually make the surfboards. And then Department of Energy has supported our research for the last 20 years. Primarily, at first, primarily to make biofuels, but more recently to make any sort of petroleum replacement bioproduct. Okay. So that was the first product we made was the surfboard. And we did that because, hey, you're at UC San Diego. What else, what are you else going to make? Right. And so, so we made that. In 2016, on Earth Day in 2016, we gave one of those surfboards, we made two of them, that's, that's the first one we made, and we gave the other one to the mayor of San Diego, and he loved it. He just thought this was the coolest biotech innovation because 
it was a surfboard made from algae and we made it so that it would biodegrade at the end of its life, right? And uh, so he just thought this was cool. That thing went viral. It actually had its own travel calendar. It went to Japan. It went to Germany. It went to Brazil. It went to Washington, D.C. Now one of its sisters that we made after that is on permanent display in the Department of Energy uh, headquarters in Washington, D.C. It's one of their, when you, when you come in, you'll see our surfboard and you'll see a pair of our flip-flops on display there. So the basic idea behind it, though, was really pretty simple, which was, okay, we can use algae as food, right? And when you grow up any plant, but specifically when you grow up algae, I'm going to say it's 50 or 60% protein and it's 30 or 40% lipid and then 10% carbohydrate, right? And the protein and carbohydrate, that's everyone recognized that's food. So you could, could feed it to humans, could feed it to animals, could do lots of stuff. And then the oil component, hey, you could turn it into a biofuel if you want. But we just looked at it and said, plastics come from petroleum, petroleum comes from algae. Let's go directly from algae to plastics. Only since we're going to reinvent these polymers, these plastics, so that they're biologically sourced, lower carbon footprint, better for the environment. Hey, since we're going to invent these things, let's reimagine them and make them so they're biodegradable. So that at the end of their life, rather than end up in a landfill, they can just biodegrade just like any plant does. Turns out there's only a couple of polymers that do that really well. One of those happens to be called a polyester polyurethane. And we're like, well, we can make anything we want. Let's make a polyester polyurethane. That happens to be what surfboards are made out of. That's also what shoes are made out of, right? Expensive shoes, always high quality shoes, always have urethanes on the bottom. Cheap ones have what's called ethyl vinyl acetate. So if you buy a pair of cheap shoes that are really light, but only last about six months, that's, that's EVA. But if you buy a good pair of shoes like these things, these will wear three or four years, no problem, even walking in them every day. So after we made the surfboard and we had such kind of, you know, not economic success on that, because not very many of those are made per year, maybe 200, 300,000 total in the world, right? And each one of them only uses about a half a kilogram of material. So you're not impacting the environment by, by making surfboards. But there's 25 billion pairs of shoes made every year. So we just said, hey, if you can make a surfboard out of polyurethane, you can probably make a shoe. Now, we were naive, like everybody, which helps a lot in science, by the way. It's an enormous benefit not to know how tough something is to do before you start working on it. Because if you knew how tough and painful it was, you'd probably go, I'm going to go work on something else easier. But we naively just sort of said, ah, oh, if we can make a surfboard, that, that's got to be hard. Making a, making a shoe will be easy. Turns out that's not true. It turns out, I mean, if you think about it, right, you might have you know, a person that weighs 150 or 200 pounds, and they are going to land on this thing 100 to 200,000 times in the life of a shoe. And that has to absorb that energy every single time it lands, and it can't squash. That's what EVA does. The problem with EVA is every time you land on it and squash it, it gets a little thinner, 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 thinner. That's why when you buy those cheap shoes, they only last about six months. They start with about this much foam, and after about six months, it's as thin as paper, and you feel every rock you step on. Urethanes don't do that. But it took us a while to figure out how to turn our monomers into polymers that met specification for a shoe. But we finally did. You know, working in lab, doing lots of different experiments, we finally got, a, got this to work. 
So then we said, okay, now we have these fantastic polymers. They're ready to go. Let's go contact the big shoe companies because they're going to want this stuff immediately to go into their shoes. Oh, we couldn't have been more wrong, <laughs> right? We, we were so naive, right? We, we, we went to the big shoe companies. And they're like, well, how much does it cost? And we're like, well, we're about 50% more than petroleum polymers. They happen to be about five bucks a kilogram. And we were like 750 or eight bucks a kilogram. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that's way too expensive. And we would point out to them, but you guys, you only use a third of a kilogram of material in your shoe. That means in a petroleum shoe, you're using about a buck 75. In ours, you're going to use about 250. That's 75 cents. You can't afford 75 cents to save the environment. Are you serious? You're selling your shoes for 80 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever. And their response back to us was like, yeah, that's right. We can't afford it. So we were appalled by that, you know, kind of, but also kind of that little, you know, slap in the face that, you know, the little business reality, most of these groups are working on really small margins. But the problem with us is that's because we were talking to the guys that were on the production line. And the guys on the production line, whether they get a bonus or not this year, depends how cheap they get this material. And so we quickly learned, oh, the guys you really have to talk to are the president or the CEO or the head marketing agent. Because once you get to the marketing agent, they're like, wait a minute, that's only 75 cents more for that. I'm spending $5 per shoe marketing. But if I can tell people that I have a shoe made from algae that's biodegradable at the end of its life, my marketing becomes much easier. So why we were on that process to meet the right people to talk to, we just decided, well, we got to go prove the technology anyway. Now, we decided this in March of 2020. In fact, we decided this March 1st of 2020. And those of you who remember your history will know that the world shut down on March 20th of 2020. So we literally decided to launch this product three weeks before the pandemic, right? We, we had visited one factory down in uh, Leon, Mexico to, to attempt to do this. They make, we don't make shoes in the United States anymore. So we, we had no opportunity to build shoes here, but they do make them in Mexico. And of course, the vast majority of them are made in Asia, right? In China and Vietnam and Indonesia. So. We went down to Mexico, but then everything shut down there. And we're like, we can't do it there. And the level of sophistication in Mexico, we couldn't do it by Zoom. Like we tried, we had a couple of meetings with them to see if we could, because you could still ship things around the world. You just couldn't go and visit people. But we found a group in Indonesia that was a little more sophisticated. We're very excited about the polymers that we had and we're willing to try it. So we, we shipped some of our monomers over to Indonesia. And then by Zoom, we designed and had 10,000 pairs of these shoes manufactured. It was, it was about the, the, the joke that Tom Cook is the president of the company. It's called Blueview. And the joke that Tom and I always have is the number one thing on our CV is going to be, we commercialized a new material internationally during a pandemic. Like that is the single greatest achievement of anything I've ever done. But we got it done. We got them over there and we got it done. They made them, they shipped them back. And sure enough, we threw these into a home compost pile. And within six months, you don't recognize this thing as a shoe. 
And within eight months, you can't even find one piece of it. So as advertised, we have bio-based materials that are 100% biodegradable. Fantastic. Well, let's switch over to generalized Q&A. Uh, we have yep. with us uh, a, a couple of, of friends. One is a member of our club, uh, Cecilia Babkirk, our club treasurer. She is in Eastern Italy. And uh, another is Chris Cochran, who was one of the charter members of this club and who Chris. is part of the District 7040 Passport Club in uh, the greater Toronto area. Chris, good to have you as well. So Cecilia starts us off with a question. Are any of these shoes made under a, a more commonly known brand? And she, she wonders, like, how popular would these be in Europe if, if they were available there? Yeah, so, so to, I'll, I'll answer the latter first. So Europe is the obvious market for us to go into. And we have discussions with several of the big brands in Europe. I won't mention who they are because we won't launch their products. We're making their products now. They'll launch in the spring of next year. A couple of them are the big fashion brands that you would recognize immediately. And they're $900 issues. And I don't have to tell you who those are. You can probably go to, you can go to any one of the, you know, giant luxury stores and see those. All of the groups, of course, of course, everybody wants better material, right? There, there's no company that wants to crash the planet. Every single one of them is like, oh, we absolutely want your bio-based materials and that they biodegrade. This is absolutely wonderful. Then they think about all the risk. Then they think, oh, what if your material doesn't work in my commercial production facility in Italy? What if, what if your material biodegrades while it's on people's feet? What if, you know, there's all the what ifs, right? They're, they're going to do. So by making our own shoe and getting it on the market, this greatly accelerated de-risking the technology. Once people could, I mean, we just send them the shoes, right? We send the shoes over to Italy. These go on to the people's feet who are actually designing and building for the fashion houses. And a month later, they're like, these shoes are fantastic. I wear these things every day. They are not biodegrading on my feet. They're comfortable. They wear well. It just gives them the comfort to knowing that I can put this material into my product and bad things aren't going to happen. The fashion brands are not very price sensitive. For them, five bucks a kilogram, seven bucks a kilogram, they're like, hey, for a $100 pair of shoes, we're not, or for a $900 pair of shoes, we're not worried about that. There's a bunch of other brands that have also picked them up. Unfortunately, I cannot, I, I can, I can show you this without showing you the name of who it is, but, but we're, these are in production right now and they will also be on the market next spring. And as I said, that was primarily driven by, it took us almost a year to get the factories to be able to use our material. I mean, it's funny here in lab, it, it took us two days to figure it out. And, and when we send it to super sophisticated scientists, they figure it out in two days. But that's not the way commercial companies work. The way commercial companies work is they've got a guy who presses buttons and squirts liquid into a mold, and he wants to do the same thing every day. And literally, and I am not joking about this, we run these things, the standard temperature they run them at is 40 degrees centigrade, right? So I don't know what that is. That's maybe... 100 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. Standard temperature they run them at. And we told them, oh, ours are a little more viscous. You have to run them at 45 degrees. And they say, okay. They turn their machine up to 45 degrees. They'd make parts. They'd say, oh, look, the parts are beautiful. And they'd show them to us on a Zoom. The next week they'd go, oh, your parts are not working. We, we don't know what happened. The material must have biodegraded because it's just, you know, it's not working anymore. 
And we'd have, I remember one day having a three-hour Zoom before we figured out that they had turned the temperature from 45 back to 40. And the reason they did that is because we, Steve, we always run this at 40 degrees. I know, I know you guys, but remember we had this conversation last week and we were going to turn the temperature up to 45 and when you did it, it worked. I, I know, but we run it at 40. And, and sadly, or, or maybe we should have expected it, that's the way it goes. Now, if you get into a sophisticated factory, and certainly the factories in Italy that make this stuff, they're super sophisticated. It took them one day to figure it out. We sent them, told them, change these parameters. And they're like, okay, change them in the pot. And now we're into much more sophisticated factories in Indonesia and Vietnam. And they also have no problem with the material. But it took a year to integrate it. Now that companies know about it, we've also got the price down because we've started to increase volume. So just that economy of scale, we're getting the price down. So yes, brands are really starting to pick this up now. So final question before we wind down the recording. I, I'm, I'm interested in some of the some of the experiences you had with the Blue View footwear. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's an intriguing move to say, okay, well, we'll just start a company, get these things out there so that people have something solid to look at. I mean, literally solid to look at. Yes. What, what are some of the surprises for you about what it means to kind of launch your own brand? How, how do, what, what, what kind of marketing has, has worked and not worked and, and just saying, yeah. hey, we've got a website order our shoes. Yeah. Again, we were super naive. We thought because we got such good press for our material, right? Like we've been on CNN and we've been on NBC News and we were in the New York Times and we're like, oh, as soon as we launch our brand, everybody will know how great it is. And it turns out that there's a lot of greenwashing out there. So even though our shoes are made from plants and our shoes are biodegradable, the consumer is very confused at how ours are a benefit over other shoes because they look at the advertising and it's like, well, these guys say they're made from plants and they're biodegradable. And you go, no, no, no. If you actually read what they say, they do not say that, right? They say some of it is from plants and this will go back to the earth. Yeah, back to the earth means I throw it in the landfill. It does mean some biodegradables, right? But, but sadly... I don't want to call them liars, but marketing is putting spin on something. And it's amazing how much people exaggerate on this stuff. And therefore, consumers are confused and, and they're not scientists. They're not nerds. They can't go look at our science papers and go, oh, these guys published a paper, you know, in, in a journal and proved it. It's peer reviewed. They can't look at that. So it's just that educational campaign that sort of get, has to get layered on top of marketing. So I would say that the sad thing is we don't sell very many shoes right now because we don't want to, we don't want to do those big marketing campaigns. I'm not going to go get one of the Kardashians and pay them $250,000 to tweet about how cool my shoe is because I'm, I'm, I'm opposed to that. I, I don't want to be a marketing spin company. I want to be a real science company that's doing the right thing for the environment and making totally cool shoes. That means we have to grow slow and we have to grow organically. We're okay with that. We accept that. Well, the links to Blueview Footwear and to uh, Algenesis Materials are, are on our pages, whether that's our YouTube page or our, our site page for our, our Rotary Club. Uh, before I hand it back to Steve for the, the final word, I'd like to thank all of you who are watching this recording. Uh, in, in coming and taking part in what we do with the Rotary Club of Silicon Valley to share stories around the world, 
we hope will inspire you to think about possibilities for your own communities as well. We hope you'll keep coming back and let others know about what you find, what you see, what, what, you know, what you're intrigued by. And let us know. Uh, at the bottom of this page, you'll find a section where you can leave comments about this program and other elements of our meeting. Uh, and there's also, for uh, Rotarians, a, a, an attendance form. You, just, you can fill that out. And by filling in your email address properly, you'll get a reply that you can pass along to your club secretary for making up a miss. So with that, what I'd like to do is hand it over to Steve for the final word. Steve, what would you like uh, for people to have clearly in mind as the video ends? Yeah, I, I would just say one thing. It's really easy to kind of ignore doing the right thing and just do what you did yesterday. Right? Like I'm going to buy my plastic water bottle, feel good because it's, it's, you know, recyclable, but it's not really. And it's just not that hard to kind of do the right thing, go get something, go get a metal water bottle is one way and reduce that plastic. Dig a little deeper and you'll find out that the, not only us, there are several other shoe brands that are also making absolutely sustainable and environmentally correct shoes. Those are not the cheap ones that you're buying at the discount store. You know, make the effort, spend a little more, and I think you'll be rewarded and the planet will be rewarded for it too. Fantastic. Thank you. And everyone, we will see you next week.